A Voyage into the Mountains The conditions finally ripened for Andy and me to see what lay on the other face of those mountain peaks just east of Whitefish Lake. According to the map, we would make a climb of 6,200 feet from our base of 3,600 feet at Whitefish Lake, much of that in presumably deep snow. We knew of no established trails once we stood at the foot of the mountains. The mission appeared doable. The peak should open up to a clearing, so keeping a reasonable bearing would be manageable without a map and compass. If nothing else, this day would be a decent scouting assignment for a better-prepared second attempt. A Voyage in the Mountains Yesterday, we finally made it to the mountains with a trip that stretched from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. At the outset of our journey, we were soon greeted by our friend Scout the dog. From the north side of the lake, we decided which peak we would take, the one with open spaces that should provide plenty of good views of the area below. After five times when we had thought we summited the peak, finally, after climbing almost 2,500 feet, we found the topmost. Often, we lost direction because we hooked around the summit, and with little time to return with the sunlight, we had to abandon our desire to see the other side. With the view we had, we were satisfied, but I did not see any snow ghosts. I had read of snow ghosts, a phenomenon particular to Whitefish Range. No, they were not the souls of parish skiers and tourists over the years, but the outlines of trees whose exterior had snow or ice melt and freeze repeatedly with the mixture of fog and wind. The result over time formed towering sculptures of packed ice. And so, the biggest part of our trip would soon come. We had to go down the mountain, and with the snow, it seemed like a game. With our butts, we slid down much of the mountainside through the snow. Near the bottom, there settled less snow, and even some parts left no snow. The stiffness of the surface against our feet blew us away. We survived the fatigue of a hard voyage. Andy was especially hurting at the end. Today, I feel a little weak, probably from the high altitude, but Andy has a red face from the wind. Now, I want to see which mountain peak we have climbed. On a side note, there are plenty of places in the yard around the cabin where there is no snow. Naked earth. It rose to 60 degrees yesterday. I thought a lot about our trip. I craved that view beyond the lake, on both faces. Overlooking Whitefish, I found all the places I had traveled in the past. The hills, the lakes, the railway, Whitefish Lake, Flathead Lake, my swamp where I had seen the wolf, and much more. I saw the entire route that I had taken from the cabin to walk into town the second time. The total area appeared like an exquisite model train exhibit. Everything appeared tiny. The town shrunk. I peered into the valley as if I were seated at a theater to the past, thinking about all of my previous exploits. There's something incredible about wide open spaces and the effect that it has on your consciousness. The label Big Sky Country did not mislead. It won't be long before Montana is a memoir. Oliger, 3-22-2000 Some rough topographic map reading gave estimations to be approximately a 2,500-foot rise in deep snow and with heavy wind exposure. The sun fully reflected from the sea of snow much of the time, an aggressive endeavor that checked most of the boxes of what we had hoped to get out of the trek, so not seeing the other side was not a prominent deal-breaker. Andy, as always, would afford much more detail. He had a distinctive take and focus, particularly at the rigorous conclusion. The very best day and the very worst day. 
but not at the same time. I am writing about this day on the 23rd for your information. Try as I might, I know I won't be able to write enough to do this day justice. Being that Wednesday was to bring nice weather, we decided it would be the day that we do something that we've been waiting for a nice day to do. Brad woke me up at quarter after 7 a.m., and being that I only got a little over an hour's worth of sleep, I didn't feel like getting out of bed. But I did. I made pancakes, and by 8 o'clock we were ready to hike up the highest mountain. Brad led the way, and when we got to the family of huge rocks above the abandoned tunnel, we selected the highest peak that looked promising for a clear view. It was a peak that had a huge snowy clearing at the top, so we figured it shouldn't be hard to find. We crossed the tracks down to the road that leads to the foot of the mountains. As soon as we got to the road, we were greeted by Scout, a dog that Brad had met on a previous hike. He led us all the way down the road, stopping to mark his territory every once in a while. He was so excited. To prove to him that we knew what he was doing, we would turn around and pretend to walk the other way. He would reluctantly stop and follow, then when we turned back around, he would excitedly resume leading the way. When it came time to turn off the road, he came running back to lead us into the wild. When we got to the first big decline, we stopped and said our goodbyes to Scout, and he headed back. Wait! I totally forgot to mention what happened just before we crossed the train tracks down to the road. There are two snowy slopes leading from the family of huge rocks to the tracks, so I slid down the first one successfully on my butt. Brad followed and continued down the second slope. It looked a little dangerous because of all the rocks at the bottom, but since Brad made it safely, I decided to sled on down. If I had been a foot to either side, I would not have landed on that pointy rock directly on my tailbone. It wasn't a sharp pain, but it was the worst pain I've felt in a long time. Just the thought of sliding so quickly then coming to that abrupt stop causes me to cringe. I wasn't going to let that stop me from getting up the mountain. Once we were free from Scout, we walked through the twisted forest until we could make out our destination through the trees. We crossed a stream then followed the sound of rushing water nearby. We stood on a bridge and looked at the deceivingly small rapids then got back on course. As the temperature rose and after some pretty tough climbing, the snow started to get deeper. We made it to an open area that we thought just might be our peak. We weren't positive, but I ate my lunch feeling as if we had made it. I couldn't believe the view. The mountains were so vast. We decided to continue on to see if there was a way to get a little higher. When we got to an area that was even larger than the previous one, we realized that we were mistaken. This was our destination. The snowy incline was so steep, but when I made it to the top, I saw that the view was like nothing I've ever seen. We could see all of Whitefish Lake, and the clouds were freaking awesome looking. It was about noon, but we decided we must see the sunset from that location. One of our goals was to see the other side of the mountain, so off we went. The further we went, the more we realized that we still had much, 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 much further up to go. We made it to another area that was even more open than the last. This was it. The snow was so steep and solid I had to wedge each step into it with hopes that it would hold me. If I slipped, I would have been in for a lovely tumble that would have been fun until I ran into the trees below. Once at the top, I wasn't as positive that it was truly our destination because there were trees blocking a lot of the view. We headed on in hopes of getting to the other side. Before starting into the thick trees, Brad put on the snowshoes he had been carrying because, though the snow was solid, it was over four feet deep. Once through the thick trees, we reached an area that made the other three seem tiny. We knew we had made it. I felt so silly for even considering the others to be the top. We walked to what we thought was the other side of the mountain and saw a lake through the trees. Brad tried to think which lake it might be, then we decided to trek to the right to get a better view. A few minutes later, we came across human tracks. They were snowshoe prints with boot prints in the center of each one. They were ours. We had apparently walked in a circle. Still determined to get a better view of the other side of the mountain, we continued on, and on, and up, and up. I commented that I felt good knowing we had reached our goals, because I was getting exhausted. 
yet we kept pushing up and up until there it was, our destination. I didn't expect it to be that open. When we got halfway up the clearing, I looked back and saw the most incredible view yet. We could see the entire Flathead Valley. Since we had been wrong about conquering the mountain, we had been wrong about seeing the other side. Therefore, the lake that we saw must have been Whitefish Lake. We decided it would take too long to get to the other side, so we let that goal slip away. I climbed a tree and Brad took a photo, then we slid down the clearing on our butts. No rocks. Much fun. At the bottom of the clearing, we took a path to see where it led. Around the bend, we saw that we were about 200 yards away from Big Mountain Ski Resort, I think. I wanted to walk there because it looked so close, but Brad thought it would be better if we headed back before the sunset. It took half as long going down the mountain as it did going up because we slid most of the way. Absolute joy. That's it. That's where the fun ended. By the time we got to the location we wanted to watch the sunset from, the sky had become gray and overcast. As it was so fun and easy to slide down the snow, it was equally as torturous to walk on dry land. As the snow became less and less, I realized what bad shape my legs were in. My boots were filled with ice water, and my toes felt like something that hurts really bad. After a few confusing moments of disorientation, we made it back to the hard road. Ouch! My mind would not let me walk anymore, but my legs kept moving on their own. For the next two hours, I was in a trance. The woods were so dark that we couldn't tell if we were on the trail or not. Never before have I felt the way I did on the final part of our journey. It wasn't pain. It was worse. If I would have had one more mile to walk, I would have laid down and died. When my hand touched the wood railing of the deck, I felt overwhelming relief. Collapsing on the couch was the highlight of my day. But that feeling didn't last more than a minute or two. My socks were soaked with blood, but there were no cuts on my feet. I should have known that once I sat down, standing up would suck. And suck it did. Brad must be in better shape than me. He stayed on his feet and made a big pot of stew for the both of us. I forgot to mention how windy it was during our hike. It was windy as hell. It felt good when I was hot. The stew was pretty good, but before it could digest, I was in a dream. I woke up often because my pillow was scorching hot. My face was actually on fire. I thought there was a possibility that I might never get up. Calms 3-22-2000 He had better have gotten up. Brian still had not written us a letter. There remained much work to do on that front. I had plainly failed to calculate that while I had a month to prepare specifically for this trek with fairly vigorous training, I may have been a little too fruitful in the run-versus-walk war. Had Andy been running daily like he had a full appetite to do, he might not have been hurting as much. Also, I was the only one that had a complete night's sleep. That is undeniably important preceding a rigorous activity. Those moments made the realization abundantly clear that I should have been more inclusive in my past hikes that prepared me for the mountain trek. That last leg of our journey, Andy muttered nonsense for most of that way, uncontrolled muttering. He almost slipped into delirium. We moved strenuously for thirteen straight hours with merely negligible amounts of rest, there was some calculating on whether I might have needed to take him to get treated for mild hypothermia. Assessing the situation proved impossible while moving because the thickets were darkened and I felt tired myself. By the time that we made it to the cabin with some light and better focus, the status emerged that while Andy agonized, he called for no emergency attention. Nevertheless, I stood ready to act if conditions soured. His face revealed incredible windburn and his body chilled, 
likely from sweat built up on the ascent that lingered for the trip back in the darkness with falling temperatures. Extremities looked manageable, just some mild trench foot. Had we ever stopped for a lengthy time, that slush in the boots may have frozen, causing bigger troubles. Some warm liquids to both warm the body and rehydrate would do, and then we could see where we needed to go from there. If we required medical attention, I would have had to drag him another third of a mile to the neighbors where my car idled. The alternative was to leave him at the cabin alone and get help myself. That seemed an even worse idea, with no phone for him to use if necessary. And so, we warmed up and hydrated. I checked on him every hour or so like a patient, and he seemed to be stable enough. The next day would be all about recovery. Recovery and glee. I would be a liar if I did not say that I thought Andy's face was amusing. Perhaps ignorance is bliss, and I did not know all the what-could-have-been scenarios, but it tickled me for sure. At 4 a.m., I forced myself out of bed to pee. I knew that there was something wrong with my face, but first I had to worry about getting to the bathroom. Every muscle in my leg stiffened then ripped with every movement I made. The mirror revealed to me a shocking image. My face was swollen and reddish-purple. My eyes had actual lumps under them. Wind burn. Probably a little sunburn, too. I went back to bed, only to continue to wake often to shift my painfully cramped legs. And thus ends my story. I made it all up. No, if I had made it up, I would have included a bear or something. I barely moved my body today. If I didn't have to get up to eat, I probably wouldn't have moved at all. The swelling under my eyes has gone down a bit, and my legs are getting used to being destroyed. I could lift my legs just enough to get up the steps to play guitar this morning. Calms, 3-23-2000 Amid how much fun we had, recognizing extreme fatigue or other developing conditions can be so challenging. We were having the time of our lives, and each climb met with so much satisfaction and breathtaking scenery. That mountain stared down on me for seven months, leaving me wondering what sat on the other side. An obsession grew from wanting to find out. With all going right that day, some luck played a vital role in chasing away misfortunes. Much more luck was relied upon than sensible. Any setbacks coming down that mountain and through the mountainside forest could have produced some desperate results. I noted that once we descended by the lake, the risks would drop dramatically. I knew the area inside and out, so there was not much unease about becoming lost in the blackness, even without flashlights. The entire trip proved a calculated risk with a mountain-sized reward. Andy had forged through the mountains for perhaps seven of those thirteen hours, with less training and only one hour of sleep. He dismissed windburn, sunburn, dehydration, sleep deprivation, trench foot, and the mental deterioration induced by mild hypothermia. There could be no debating that he showed much mental grit that day. Had he run up and down that mountain the entire time, the situation would have fostered certain calamity. Another notch in the run-versus-walk campaign. <laughs>